Hello there. Welcome on in. It's Downtown, the podcast, episode 28. From the Zone Radio Studios in Bangor, Maine, Rich Kimball here along with Gary Haskell. Downtown, the podcast is brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. And by Nice Brewing Company, German-style beer from the woods of Maine. A couple of talented musical performers visit with us on the podcast today. Uh, one acclaim for uh, her work, particularly in motion pictures, uh, Jennifer Warrens, who has recorded three different songs that have won the Oscar for Best Original Song from a Motion Picture. But uh, she'll also talk about her long musical relationship uh, with the late Leonard Cohen as well. And uh, up first, a gentleman who comes to our area performing in Brewer, Maine on Wednesday night, November 14th. We're presenting an evening with Jimmy Webb. It's going to be a great time with uh, one of America's premier songwriters, the man behind so many classic hits from the 60s, 70s, and well, up to the present day when people like Kanye West have uh, recorded versions of his songs. The list is ridiculously impressive. Galveston, MacArthur Park, Wichita Lineman, Up, Up and Away, The Moon's a Harsh harsh Mistress, Do What You Want to Do, uh, Do What You Gotta Do, on and on and on. And uh, Jimmy Webb will be performing those songs himself uh, right here in Eastern Maine on November 14th. But we had a chance to talk with him uh, about his career, his wonderful memoir, The Cake and the Rain, and much more. Here's our conversation with singer-songwriter Jimmy Webb. Can we talk a little bit, uh, you, you're doing a lot of touring these days. So many of these songs you wrote uh, when you were a pretty young guy. Do you change oh, yeah. your pro- approach to any of the songs? Do they have a different meaning for you now than they did when you first wrote them? Well, uh, you know, I think there's a challenge. Uh, uh, and it's a very good question. But I mean, um, these songs, uh, a lot of them are 50 years old. I mean, let's just you know, say it, say, say what it is, you know, it's, it's not 20, it's not 30, it's not, you know, we're talking 50 years, half a century. Uh, and I'm, I've been very fortunate to live, to, to, you know, to see these songs survive. A lot of them are still, um, of interest, you know, I mean, um, we we still get recordings on MacArthur Park and Wichita Lineman every year, um, and um, so to keep to to keep interested in them, I think is one of the challenges of performing live. But I never, uh, and I'll tell the audience, uh, and you'll hear me you'll hear me say this if you're at the concert. I say, you know, I never do the same thing twice. So. <laughs> You can always come back and see me, and it'll be a completely different concert. Well, that's um, that's the beauty of live really, performance. That's 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 the truth, and and it's my, you know, so burden of proof that I carry on the stage with me every night as a performer that I can get back into the material, I can bring it to life again, and I can, and I can make them feel what I was feeling when when I wrote it. Um, and, uh, that's, that's my challenge as a performer. And, you know, sometimes I do newer, I do, you know, I still write all the time. I'm, I'm going to do a, uh, I've got songs for a solo album for next year. I'm doing a piano album. Um, and I do a lot of writing. I just did a, a memoir last year, the cake, the cake in the rain. 
And so I'm, I'm busy. I don't, I don't live in the past. I don't, I don't, I don't like to think of myself as living in the past, but people want to hear these songs. So, uh, I, when Glenn Campbell passed away, I vowed that as long as I could play and sing that nobody would forget him or his, or his songs. And, um, so that's that's part of my mission, and I, I talk about Glenn quite a bit. He was really an extraordinary character. I mean, one one in a hundred million uh, musicians and singers. Well, you, you talk about Glenn, and I know you uh, you recently did a show with his daughter Ashley. What was that experience like? Well, I'm having a blast with Ashley. Uh, you know, she's uh, she's a uh, formidable. A virtuoso on banjo—that's that's her forte—and uh, I can remember uh, her father. I can remember the two of them in, in front of the fireplace up in Malibu years ago, and I think she was about eleven. And um, he was playing either Highwayman or Sun Shower, one of those things that had one of those really kind of complex things that I do once in a while. And she was just watching his fingers like, here's an 11-year-old holding a guitar and just just doing what Daddy did, you know? There was something about that uh, vignette that really stays in my memory. Uh, and she's grown up to be really formidable. And uh, she's very, very easy to look at, and she's a very positive influence, and she keeps she she keeps me young, and she keeps the show young. So we've been having some pretty good gigs together, and and we we have more booked out this year. So you know, as long as she wants to do it, I'll do it. Well, you told us in the past when you've been on the show, nobody recorded more of your songs than Glenn Campbell. Is there is there one song in your mind that's the peak of that artistic collaboration between you two? Well, the one that uh, I think has had the most, um, that has provoked the most reaction and probably more covers than any other uh, is Wichita Lineman. And uh, it was, you know, almost a throwaway song. I sent it to him uh, and uh, in an unfinished state, told him it wasn't finished. I hadn't written the last verse. He didn't think it needed the last verse, but I didn't know that for a couple of weeks. And I said, oh, you know, I ran into him at a session. I said, I guess you guys didn't like Wichita Lineman. <laughs> Wichita Lineman? He says, we cut that. <laughs> but Glenn, I said, it wasn't finished. I, I put a note in the package. I said, this song is not finished, you know, JLW. He said, it's, it is now. <laughs> so that's the, way, that's the way Glenn was, and he always exercised uh, his prerogative as producer and arranger and, and veteran of thousands of recording sessions and hundreds of sessions that produced hit records.
Well, yeah, and you you tell the story in the book too that uh, you felt like they were still missing something, and you uh, you had an old organ and captured that incredible sound at the end. And uh, I think you mentioned in the book that Glenn called somebody up and said, "You need to come get this big old organ and get it down to I think it was Western Recorders, right?" Well, they got really excited about it, and it was a uh, it was a church organ, and we didn't have synthesizers in those days, but we had fancy church organs because mind you my my job before i moved to hollywood was i was church organist for my father who was a baptist minister and so i would get on the organ committee and i would buy the organs that were all tricked out with like rhythm with like rhythm generators and so i could play rock and roll on and uh, they also had a lot of even though we didn't have synthesizers properly, they had electronic sounds on them. They had uh, uh, a kind of a, uh, I don't know, you would call a tremolo or a, or a repetition of a sound and, and a sustain. There was a sound on the organ that I had just brought brought up and said, "You want to hear something crazy?" You know, and this was this was a great sound. It sort of sounded like a satellite or something like that. And he got excited, and he said, "Let's let's put that on the record, you know." <laughs> and uh, I didn't have to do anything except hold down two notes, just hold them down. The organ sort of went through this satellite routine where it it played, it arpeggiated, and automatically played this thing up and down, and it was just kind of a shivery sound. But all I was playing was two notes, and he. I said, you know that organ? I said, it weighs about 2,000 pounds, you know? <laughs> I said, we had a hell of a time getting it up those stairs. He said, he picked up the phone and said, Shorty? He said, he was talking to SIR, and he said, can you guys get over here with the truck, you know? <laughs> and that's that's the way Glenn was. So the organ went down to the studio, and later that night, I was I was just sitting there playing those two notes, and... They recorded a bit of it, and you can hear it on, to this day. You can hear it on the fade. Uh, you know, it sounds it sounds like some sort of communications apparatus. Something was just. We're talking to Jimmy Webb. Touch of sound that I think, I think. Uh, really contributed to the record. Oh, there's no question. Jimmy Webb with us here on Downtown. I want to talk about another artist that collaborated with you several times, uh, most uh, notably on her album, Cry Like a Rainstorm, Howl Like the Wind, one of the great vocalists in, in pop music. Can you talk a little bit about Linda Ronstadt? Well, she's, she's uh, Linda's almost my sister. She and I were born very close to the same day. I'm not going to get into too much detail about that. <laughs> but... Um, we we had some, we went on a, a wonderful mu- musical journey together. I, I I think that the you know I had four songs on Cry Like a Rainstorm. It was a platinum album back when we had platinum albums. <laughs> um, and you know she was she's just been uh, she produced she produced my album Suspending Disbelief. Uh, which really, in my view, should have should have had more success than it did. But um, she uh, she is a bright lady. She's a bright, strong, 
woman, uh, and she's she's really uh, you know uh, one of my heroines at this at this moment because of the way she's dealing with uh, Parkinson's Parkinson's disease, and it's very ironic for me because I. I have I have really I'm I'm starting to uh, feel the impact of these diseases Alzheimer's took Glenn and I'm just pleased that Linda has you know persevered against this Parkinson's and is still very very active and and has a has a, a lecture circuit she no longer performs but uh, and I think that's that's for me that's a very sad thing because. Uh, she was she was one of the people who believed in me and and would go out and 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 put her money where her mouth was. You know, she she cut my songs. She spoke highly of me in her memoir. She, um, you know, she's she's aces in my book. You also worked a lot through the years with Art Garfunkel. You wrote his first solo hit, uh, All I Know, uh, many of the songs on the Watermark album. And I and I was a young radio guy at the time, still shocked to this day, 40-some years later, that Crying in My Sleep didn't become a big hit. Yeah, I mean, there, there were some things like that that don't make sense. Uh, and I think that you just have to, you know, at the very very outset, you know, if you're going to enjoy the unlikely record that becomes a hit and go, oh, my God, you know, how, how fantastic. Up, Up, and Away was one of those kind of lost children that was just almost accidentally released. It was like, I think, the third or fourth single off that record. And um, so, you know, it, 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 it made a good showing and actually earned me a Grammy for Song of the Year. And so, I mean, and that was all completely accidental. And um, if you're going to take any pleasure in that, then you have to accept the fact that sometimes the best laid plans uh, just don't come off the way the way you want them to. I, I would have thought that was a hit, and I still think it's a hit. Mm. Uh, and I get a lot of I get a lot of requests for it, um, but you know it's 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 a, almost a mystical thing a hit record the day it's released, the season of the year whether it's a summer record or a winter record or right. what's the mood of the country, what what was the you know what was the mood of the band that day when they came <laughs> in to cut the record was there something wrong with it that you didn't hear. Uh, was it just not promoted correctly? It, it just didn't get the push from the label? Who knows? I mean, we're talking about so many variables, I mean, including the temperature in the studio. I think it's very difficult to figure out what makes a hit record. Hey, Jimmy, the last time you were on with us uh, was uh, around the time of the release of your book, which is so wonderful, The Cake and the Rain. I went back and reread it uh, again this weekend. And, and Wow, you're a glutton for punishment. No, I love the book so much. So many great stories and memories. Could I wonder if you could share one of my favorite stories from the book about when uh, Frank Sinatra rolled out the red carpet for you and especially for your dad. Well, that was really nice. Um you know, he, he was all, um, and Mr. Snatch was always very, very nice to me. Uh, and, 
he loved songwriters, and he would sit and listen to songwriters for hours. We used to get together um, once every year or two, you know, for 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 most of most of the remainder of his life. When I met I met him when he was I think probably about fifty, um, and um, one time I went up to Vegas to see him. He always, you know, he always treated me like royalty, but. He said, why don't you bring your father, you know? And I thought, well, yeah, that's a nice thing, you know, because my dad, you know, would just be bowled over. And then when I told him, he, he couldn't believe it. I said, yeah, we're Mr. Sinatra's guest. We went up to Caesar's Palace, and, of course, everything was paid for, and there were markers and special tickets, special, te- uh, special seats at the show, and... After the show, Mr. Sinatra had us backstage, and then he he said, "Why don't you Why don't you guys come to dinner with me tomorrow night at the Jockey Club before the show?" And I said, "Great!" So my father and I went off to the Jockey Club with with uh, this this you know unbelievably famous guy who had who had sort of been the standard bearer and literally the standards uh, of, of World War II, all those great songs that my father was in the South Pacific. And so they got their heads together and they, as, as we ate dinner and had a couple of drinks and um, they, they, the conversation actually strayed so far from anything that I knew about. They were talking <laughs> about bands that I'd never heard of. and They were talking about, the battles and, and different ships and different people and different tours and times that my father had seen the show and this and that and the other thing. And after a while I said, listen, you guys are having such a great time. I'm just going to go upstairs. <laughs> and, uh, they, they ended up spending the, the pretty much the whole evening together. My, uh, I think they went to the craps table and my father like crapped out. He, <laughs> he lost he lost everything he had on him and uh and I always say but after that after that night my father had a spring in his step he was a made man <laughs> And we're talking with Jimmy Webb. The music world has changed so much, and, and we've talked about this with a number of artists. Uh, your friend Van Dyke Parks has explained to us how little songwriters get uh, through streaming audio services. Uh, you've had your battles with uh, the Recording Industry Association of America over songwriter credit when the sampling is done. Um, are we getting any closer to making a more equitable situation for songwriters in this digital age? Well, you know, uh, that my battle with Maris is not over. Uh, they may think it is, but it's not over. Um, and uh, I, until they put me down, I'll, I will be out there rabble-rousing and, and asking the question, why do, why do uh, highly regarded legendary songwriters, why do they not get credit? when their songs are sampled and then nominated for Grammy Awards. Um, so I, I, my case is pretty strong. I mean, I, 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 I almost have a legal case I could bring. Uh, I may do that. Um, I think that, you know, um, 
we just we just got some action from Congress that that's been long overdue. Um, and and uh, and and so very hard to achieve. I mean, it is, I've been on the ASCAP board for it will be almost twenty years next year, and um, I think when I serve out my term this year, I think I'll be. Uh, I think I think I'll make it to twenty, but I may have to run again. Um, but almost two decades, and this is the first time we ever got anything like a bill through Congress that attempt that that attempts to redress some of the inequities that have been just um, diabolically enforced by this this. Uh, this digital industry and these big monopolies like Google and uh, Amazon and, and uh, radio stations like Spotify and Pandora. And um, uh, we just have to change the culture, that's all. We just, we've lost a little bit of our sensitivity towards the cultural side of things in America in the last couple of decades where uh, we have forgotten that there was a time when songwriters were really honored and respected. Oscar Hammerstein, Richard Rogers, Larry Hart, um, uh, Yip Harburg, uh, Harold Arlen. We've forgotten that so much of our culture is actually created by these oft-times humble men who really work in the back room and don't look for a lot of attention and don't, you know, they're not Kanye West types. They're not in the Oval Office, you know, <laughs> talking to the president about something, you know, blimp or something. Um, but they're just guys who go to work and, uh, and, and enrich all of our lives. I mean, music, we get married to it. We get buried to it. We have dinner to it. We make love to it. We go for a walk to it. We can't drive our car without it. What would we listen to when they put us on hold on a telephone? <laughs> we didn't have music. Uh, music is really important, and the people who make music are important to people. And I'm going to see to it, as long as I can breathe, that that's remembered. Well, we wish you well in that fight. Uh, when it comes to music, uh, we around here cannot wait till you're here at the Brewer Performing Arts Center uh, singing so many of your songs in Evening with Jimmy Webb coming up on Wednesday, November 14th. And we've talked about it before. Uh, you've got a place in Maine. Uh, a lot of the book was written here in Maine. So this is, uh, even though you haven't been in this part of the state before, we look at it as a homecoming for you. Well, you know what? It is a homecoming. And I'm going to be coming up there with my buddy Danny Ferguson, who who's my road road guy, road master, and he's a he's a citizen of Maine. He's lived there since 1971. I think he bought his house. And uh, no, we're coming in like Mainers. We're, you know, I mean, I know that I will never be a Mainer, but I'm a part-time Mainer, and I love that state. I love love the people. I'm looking forward to it. That's Jimmy Webb here on Downtown, the podcast. When we come back, 
We'll talk with singer-songwriter Jennifer Warrens after this quick word from Cross Insurance. Since its founding in 1954, Cross Insurance has grown from a small family-owned agency that started in Bangor, Maine, into one of the largest super regional insurance agencies in New England. With the network of offices throughout New England, Cross Insurance works with top carriers to provide maximum value to you, your family, and your business. We are proud to be the official insurance broker of the New England Patriots and would welcome the chance to provide security for your team. For more information, visit CrossInsurance.com. Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Five years ago, a couple of friends teamed up to create balanced beers that pay respect to the rich German tradition of brewing, layered with the nuance and eccentricity of modern brewing. And with that, Nice Brewing Company was born, G-N-E-I-S-S. Based in Limerick, Maine, right in the foothills of the White Mountains, Dustin and Tim combine a love of beer, science, and their German heritage to create truly unique brews for you. Whether it's the Nice Weiss, the Sun and Shine, IPAs, Stouts, Porters, or any of their seasonal offerings, you'll love what they've got brewing at Nice. Ask for beers from Nice at your favorite restaurant or bar and look for Nice cans throughout the state of Maine. Work hard, play hard, be nice. Well, that was an Academy Award winner and a mega hit for Jennifer Warrens and Joe Cocker. The love theme from An Officer and a Gentleman, one of three songs that Jennifer Warrens has recorded that have won the Oscar for Best Original Song. But she's had uh, so many more hits in her career as both a singer and a songwriter, a long musical association with Leonard Cohen as well. And a brand new album released earlier this year called Another Time, Another Place. We had the opportunity to talk about all of that recently with Jennifer Warrens. The first new album uh, in about 17 years for you. What was it that <laughs> got you to go? Well, it's good to take your time on things, right? What, what was it that got you back into the studio? <laughs> yeah sorry about that no <laughs> life gets in the way rich well it, it certainly did and for you uh, life got in the way in uh, some difficult ways you had some certainly emotional experiences along the way is this album it certainly is for the listener i think it's very much a healing album is it that way for you yeah i, I i'm more than a issue grappling statement. I wanted something that when you put it on, it actually calmed you down and gave you peace and company. And uh, I think it does that. Well, it certainly does. And you've always had such a great gift uh, for mixing in wonderful contributions from other songwriters with your own work. And also, I'm sure, a level of comfort working with Roscoe Beck on this album. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so wonderful working with him. Yeah, we're comfy. You know, we we understand each other, and we can get a lot of work done in a day because all the you know the questions have been answered. Well, I love I love the opening track that we played a little bit of there. Uh, Eddie Vedder's "Just Breathe," a different take on that, and and you bookend the album uh, with Mark Knopfler's "Why Worry." You put some thought, I have to assume, into choosing those as the opening and closing songs on this album. Well, you if if people are gracious enough to give you an hour of their time, whether driving or at home, 
or washing the dishes or whatever they do when they listen to the music. It's a it's a it's an honor. It's a gift for people to give you that much of their time and I always pay attention to the fact that that's a you know that hour is important. It should flow, it should have meaning, it should take them on a journey. It shouldn't it shouldn't irritate them too heavily and you know it should uh be beautiful. So we did that. Well, you certainly did. And it was great when this album uh, first came out. I couldn't wait to hear it. And, uh, well, if it were, if I had the vinyl version, I'd have worn it out and have cue scratches by now. Uh, But I've listened to it so many times. And it was great to listen to an album, well, the way I I used to listen to albums, where you would start with track one and work your way right through to the end. That's what it's supposed to be, I think. Uh, You know, you can't get a story, you can't get a movie told in in three minutes. You know, so why should you get an album, you know, everything you want to say in an album done in little sound bites. I think you need the hour. So many, you know, uh, to get into it and go somewhere. Oh, yeah. yeah so many great songs. I love uh, your, your version of Mickey Newbery's So Sad. One of my favorites, and it's a song that I, I wasn't familiar with, but I absolutely love it uh, by Ray Bonneville. I am the Big Easy. Great song, huh? Oh, man, is that wonderful? Yeah, he's a great writer. It's a good song. So uh, yeah. let's let's go back a little bit. I want to talk about some of your early career. And uh, how did you first come to the attention of uh, the Smothers Brothers? I'm going to put you on speakerphone and see if this works. Okay. Sure, we'll try it. like to experiment. How's this? Oh, yeah, I still hear you. Do you steer, still hear me? Yes, yes, that's much better. Oh, technology's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. All right. So, so how did you become acquainted with the Smothers Brothers? Uh, Pat Paulson is from my hometown, and he was a house painter, uh, and he had a, a, a comedy act at a local five-star Michelin restaurant here. And uh, I was the opening act for the comedians, and I sang songs with a classical guitarist. And we became pals, and when he, had, when he left Orange County to go work for the Smothers Brothers, he brought me with him. And now he didn't include you on his presidential ticket, though. <laughs> Women weren't allowed then. <laughs> That's right. Well, it appears it's still a struggle today. Yeah, it appears so, yes. That's uh, why we didn't talk last time. I was overcome with emotion. Well, a lot of people were. Uh, is the story true that you first met Leonard Cohen in a hotel lobby? Yes, in... Uh, in um... Hartford, Connecticut, as he was going off to his concert and I was going off to mine. Yeah, he was just on his way and spoke to him briefly. And uh, it was, uh, you know, it was lovely. As it turns out, we may have met before then at a, uh, when I was 14 years old, at a international uh, folk festival. And he was representing Israel and I was representing the United States. And I think I... That was actually the first time we met, but I can't, I'm trying to piece together the, my memory, you know, and, and, you know, we have the program that we were both there, so I can't remember exactly (laughs) what happened. Well, that became such a a wonderful collaboration. Uh, You worked with Leonard on uh, many of his albums as both a singer and a vocal arranger, and I I think I saw an interview where you said, uh, in many ways, you were born to be a conduit for his music. I don't know why. Maybe it's the Catholic Jewish thing. 
or you know uh, maybe he you know he was raised by Catholic nannies and we both loved words and you know there was just some kind of uh, sympathetic, sympathetic familial thing every time we hung out. I understood him. He understood me. It was easy to do to make music together. So when you know when it came time to do his you know his tribute album. It was like singing my own stuff, you know. Not as good, of course, but it was it was uh, familial. That's how how I would explain it. Well, famous blue raincoat, uh, one of the best albums of the last fifty years, and in particular, uh, maybe my favorite song, uh, "Song of Bernadette," which I cannot listen to even after thirty years without being moved to tears. I think it's one of the great performances in American music, and I understand that's a very personal song for you. Well, thank you. Roscoe says the same thing as you say. He tells me that that high note at the end really causes him to cry. And um, I don't know what that's about. It, it, The song is just a composition for me, and it came out of, you know, being named Bernadette as a kid and then being, you know, in Lourdes with, with Leonard and talking about saints. And, you know, it came out of a lot of different elements, puzzle pieces that came together as the song. But, uh, but as, as to how it affects people, I'm... I'm uh, humbled by it because I, I I think it does it touches something in people that's kind of um, innocent. We're talking with Jennifer Warrens here on Downtown. Her new album is entitled "Another Time, Another Place." Uh, how did you become the go-to person for Hollywood to get songs not only nominated but winning Academy Awards? It started with uh, normal Norma Ray. It goes like it goes, right? Well, I think at my time. I'm just guessing. At my time, there were there were a lot of great singers, but they were the great singers were mostly church gospel singers, and or they were folk singers. But there weren't many. Uh, there were a few. There were a few, but there weren't many singer singers. You know, just like uh, trained, I guess you'd call them, uh, who could do a lot of different kinds of uh, songs. There weren't many around in, in, in Hollywood, and I got the reputation as being somebody who could, who could do a lot of things, who could approach a lot of different styles and a lot of different themes and feelings. And so I, I got a, a big string of work that uh, was very fortunate for for that time. Absolutely. A monster hit, of course, uh, with Joe Cocker on uh, Up Where We Belong. And you performed live with Joe. What was that experience like? Wonderful. You know, he's, he's such an engine. He's such a force. And he's so emotional and so open-hearted and, uh, and solid uh, in, in his musical ability. And uh, I miss him very much. And then Bill Medley of the Righteous Brothers, uh, that proved to be a, a huge, successful pairing once again on uh, the theme from Dirty Dancing, and that, too, a monster hit and an Academy Award winner. Yeah, and Bill and I are from, the, again, like Pat Paulson, we're from the same town, so there was a lot of, we had a lot of, we knew a lot of people that we'd grown up with, and there was a good, good, comfortable feeling working with Bill. 
Now, did I see that uh, you enjoyed quite a bit the NFL's little twist on uh, Dirty Dancing that they did last year? <laughs> oh, didn't you love that? That was great. Oh, God, that was imaginative. That was fabulous. All the guys said, you know, they they put their best foot forward. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the new album is absolutely delightful. Another time, another place. You are in great voice. Uh, what, uh, was it the seventeen years rest? No, seriously. What do you uh, What do you attribute to being that. in such a good voice? Seventeen years without, you know, Jack Daniels. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I may be taking the wrong advice then. No, no, no. I don't drink. But it, yes, I think seventeen years of downtime is does wonders for the soul <laughs> and the heart and the and the voice. Well, the album does wonders for the soul as well. Uh, it's wonderful to talk with you. I've enjoyed your music for many, many years and love the new album. Jennifer Warrens, thank you so much for visiting with us. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you having me. That is Jennifer Warrens here on Downtown, the podcast. Thanks to Jennifer as well as the great Jimmy Webb for joining us on the program this week. And well, thanks to you for joining us. We remind you that the podcast is brought to you by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength, and by Nice Brewing Company, German-style beer from the woods of Maine. Gary Haskell, I'm Rich Kimball. We'll see you next time on Downtown, the podcast.